Welcome back to the Find Your Form podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jake Wells. I'm really excited about our guest today, Brett Donaldson. This is the founder of The Cycle Effect, a Colorado-based nonprofit that empowers young women through mountain biking. Before we jump into our conversation with Brett, today's episode is brought to you by Millie CBD. It seems like everyone is jumping on the CBD bandwagon these days, and with so many options out there, what differentiates one brand from the next? I've teamed up with Millie CBD for two reasons. All of their hemp products are grown and processed right here in Colorado, and the quality is second to none. In a world of CBD products, Millie stands alone. Check out all their amazing products at Millie.co. That's M-I-L-L-I-E dot C-O. Use code FORM at checkout for 10% off your entire order. And now, please welcome Brett Donaldson. Brett, Great. how we doing, man? Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in. This is uh, We're in a little bit different studio today, so... It's pretty official. Get our bearings yeah. here. It's yeah. pretty... Uh, Pretty high tech over here. Yeah, Steve runs a tight ship. He does. Right. I'm here too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how many people, how many comments I get like, hey, who's the guy that kind of just sneaks in occasionally with that real sultry voice? He's got a great voice. Who is that guy? So. That's me. Yeah, that's Steve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just here because of my hair. <laughs> you do more than that. I don't know what it is, but you do more. Than I don't know what you sure. do, but whatever it is, it's magnificent. Yeah, it's it's yeah. really good. I yeah. feel good about this yeah. for sure. Yeah. I'm glad somebody else can be here to, to pick on Jake besides me, <laughs> because I always kind of feel bad at the end of the day. Like, mm, I was maybe kinda... I hurt his feelings. Yeah. Oh, maybe. No. Did I hurt his feelings today? He hurts I... me every day. We ride bikes together. I'll hurt his feelings in public. I'm sensitive. You guys. I'm sensitive when I ride bikes with you too. And you don't seem to care. Oh, I didn't know that. He hurts my feelings via text. Like he'll send me some nasty note about still riding a 26er oh. yeah. and makes fun of it. You know, pokes fun of, you know, people put, my put size. My, put my name on the bottom of that next thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't make fun. Both of us. This yeah. just sounds like that's something inside of you. I didn't realize you were so sensitive. And then he'll send me another text that says, I didn't know you were so sensitive. Sorry. Did you break a spoke today? I feel like mm. you got, have you guys ever done a podcast together? Because I feel like just maybe, the two maybe, maybe the two of you should <laughs> work that out on a podcast some things out and then yeah. I can come back next week or, you know, yeah, it's up to you guys. So I saw a tire on the, on the shelf that was on sale for like $14, right? And we're in a, this pandemic where tires are not easy to come by right now. He's still talking about me at this point. Yeah. So, and I look at the tire, like $14 for a tire, I'm like, oh, it's a 26 inch tire. That's why it's so inexpensive. And then I'm it dawns on me that I know someone that rides a 26 inch wheel bike. Did you get it for him? No, I asked him if he, I sent him a, the, I took a photo and I sent it. Cause I said, Hey, do you this want, is not painting you in a good, do you want me to get this for you? And he said, I've got plenty. I don't need your discount <laughs> tires. Cause I know so, it was a cheap shot. Can I get you this $14 tire from Blackburn? I get it. Yeah. First of all, you should know that, I'm sponsored by Continental. I don't run Blackburn tires <laughs> on my 26er. So let's be, you know. Sponsorship obligations. I'm running the Mountain here. King in 2.2 right now. So just want to say thank you to Continental. Greatest tires out there, right? All right. All right, Brett, talk to me. Tell us about the cycle effect. Sure. So, uh, so yeah. like you said, the mission is to empower young women through mountain biking to create brighter futures and build stronger communities. Um, so my wife, Tam, and I um, started the organization back in a, basically 2013. 
And so it uh, started in Edwards, Colorado, where we live. And we just wanted to start working with young women on bikes. We thought, you know, that was a great way to get back to the community. And we were coming out of the ski industry in a lot of ways where there, I didn't feel like a huge uh, connection to our local community. We were traveling so much and stuff like that. So we really wanted to help um, local kids and we don't have kids of our own. So we thought like, got to find something to do. So it was really just a volunteer opportunity for us where we just thought, let's see what we could do with a couple, um, you know, funders that helped us find bikes and stuff like that. Um, and then there was a point where we kind of realized we should take this on our own and not be under the umbrella of another organization that we were under locally here. Uh, and so when that happened, um, it became, you know, the official cycle effect in 2013. And we, um, started in Edwards, like I said, with about 10 to 12 girls, um, the majority of them came from uh, Latino families uh, just because of the group we were working with beforehand in that other organization. Um, and so we thought, you know, this is really cool that we don't see a lot of this happening in other parts of the country. I was kind of aware of other bike organizations and I thought maybe we have something here. And so we kind of took it on our own and we realized like just from a sustainability standpoint, we couldn't really raise funds for such a small number of girls. And so we thought, you know, where's the next place we could grow to? And so we immediately started a program in Summit County and we immediately started a program in Eagle. So we had two in Eagle County and then one in Summit County. Um, And so we went from like 12 girls to like 60 in a year and we had no real ability to do this other than we just thought it could work. And so, um, you know, we didn't know where we we're going to find funding for trailers and bikes and all that kind of stuff. We just said, let's try it and tell the story and see if we can get Build some it traction. Will come kind of yeah, a, yeah, that idea. And, and that, you know, and I think that anytime you start a company or an organization, you've got to think about the financial pieces of it. So I am going to talk a bit about the finances, not because that was our motivator, but you just can't do it without those resources. Sure. Right. So um, we grew to 60 kids and we thought, we started telling our story. We started to be able to have some fundraisers and stuff like that and gain a little bit of traction. And then I came on board full time. You know, the first two years we were doing it, I was three years, actually. I was an unpaid, essentially full-time volunteer, basically. And Tam was definitely a volunteer. All of our coaches were volunteers. Um, it wasn't until like 2016 or so that we actually brought on like our first real paid employee. And that wasn't even me at the beginning, um, but that was a development director, Vicky who, uh, you know, and she really came in and and brought in amazing systems to build a a sustainable organization. So, um, now we're working with, you know, this year, our goal is to work with like 280 girls. Um, we are in, we have two teams in Summit County. We have two teams in Eagle County. We now have had teams in Grand Junction and the Mesa County area for the last year. Um, we're running a pilot program that's going really well in Route County up in Steamboat. They uh, have a really great setup for these kids with Hallison Hill right there. Um, and we feel like we're going to gain traction with funders there also. So um, we're now seven full-time staff members, 45 paid part-time coaches. So the the evolution has been pretty um, remarkable. You know, it, again, I'm in the middle of it, so I'm always looking like all the things are going wrong. But I think if we look, take a step back, our growth is really great and we, we've really had a lot of fun doing it. Um, so that's kind of the organization level. And what we're trying to do with each girl is basically provide them with an opportunity starting in fifth grade to have every opportunity she could ever want on a mountain bike. And so that's um, some of our girls will get 80 to 100 days of coaching a year. 
Um, bikes will be provided, uh, the storage for their bikes. Cause a lot of these girls have said, if I take my bike home, I'm not sure it'll be there in the morning type of an idea because of where they live. Sure. Not every girl, of course, but mm-hmm. the, so we've had to provide storage spaces and basically mobile storage with our trailers, which you've seen in vans and stuff like that. Um, kits, jerseys, uh, safety equipment, race entries. I mean, we've had girls to go to us nationals where we've helped, um, then make those travel arrangements and, and send them and stuff like that. So really, We'll take a girl that has had, you know, is in a pair of jeans, flip flops and a tank top um, to shows up to her first practice. And within six weeks, she basically has everything she could possibly need um, to ride at whatever level she wants. And it's really then up to the girl as to how far she wants to take that. Some girls have no desire to race. We do make them race once, you know, in like a short track race, just because we think that that is re- that. um the nerves you feel at a start line, you know, that's the same kind of emotional nervousness you're going to feel when you walk into a, um, college scholarship, uh, or sorry, you know, admissions interview or something like that, or a Mm -hmm. job interview. I mean, you got to be able to handle that emotional state. Um, so, but then we also have girls that are going to try and race probably 30 times this year. Right. And, And really make it their thing, you know? So that's kind of the real basic overview. Um, we do, you know, have mentorship topics every single day uh, at practice and stuff like that. I mean, I'm talking a lot about the biking because that's logistically the challenging part of the organization. But the coaches we have are, you know, youth development professionals that are either teachers or come from other nonprofits that generally don't have a lot of mountain bike experience. And we coach them how to coach mountain biking. The actual coaching of biking is pretty simple. It's the connection with these girls that makes them want to come back. That is the more challenging part for sure. So that's really where we've focused our time and effort and resource over the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, that's a super impressive ramp up, you know, to go from, and I know because like you said, you're kind of in it in the daily work. So you may not see, and you, you probably have that bigger vision of where you want to go, but I don't know, to me, to, to look at something that started in 2013, seven years, eight years later, and you're now have four different counties, three different counties that you're working, four different counties that you're working within. And we say three because we haven't officially gone to route, but yeah, we, sure. I mean, we are, and we've got other counties calling us saying, we'd love to have you guys come there. And we just want to make sure that we are really um, ready for that. You know, we want to grow slowly. Of course, I'd like to offer this to every kid out there, but resources are definitely finite, of course. Mm-hmm. Um so, but yeah, I think if you were to step, like I read a lot of books on leadership or on, you know, growth of organizations. And if you step back and look at kind of our growth and how our board has grown, how our staff has grown, how our participants have grown, how our resources have grown, how, uh, you know, our leadership team has grown, all that stuff is like, we're pretty much on a great trajectory. Of course there are hiccups, right? Of course, not everything goes exactly how you want them to, but, um, yeah, I think we're kind of on a great path. So did you... S- what made you want to start it? Like, did you guys see a need for it or was it just something that, like, what was the, what was the premise behind getting this organization even? Well, at that time, so at that time I was like 30, Mm -hmm. right. And I had basically spent my entire, my entire life ski racing or coaching ski racing. So I was traveling around the world coaching, um, for the Mammoth Mountain Ski Team and then Ski and Snowboard Club Vale, where I ended as the head women's coach there. So I was around athletes, five or six days a week. When I left that, um, I became a commercial personal trainer. And although that was great, I did miss that like one-on-one athlete connection. I knew like I want to do something more with 
younger athletes on some level. I, I didn't know what it was. And then through this work with, as a personal trainer, I just got involved in with people that were very involved with uh, philanthropy. So I kind of learned more about that and thought, I've got this idea. Let me run it by you. And so um, I did not have some like sexy business plan or like some 10 year plan. It was literally, I've got this idea, umbrella organization. Can I try it here? They said, yes, we volunteered for a year or two. We fell in love with the kids we were working with. We fell in love with the idea. And then we just kind of took it on. Um, So uh, yeah, I I wish it was like kind of a more glamorous story, but it really wasn't. And then it was, uh, if we don't take this under our own umbrella, it's going to go away. And we we don't want that to happen. So that was kind of where Tam and I um, took it on. And then, of course, it was the hardest thing we've ever done by far. I mean, during that time, we foreclosed on houses and things like that. I mean, it was we were in deep to this thing. And I, I remember coming home and like literally putting my head on the table regularly and saying, I cannot do this. The stress is like so beyond what I'm capable of taking or taking on. And Tam said, that's great. We can totally be done. But it's the best part of our day riding with those kids. And we come home and we talk about it constantly. So if we do step away, we need to figure out something else in our life that's going to bring us that. And and her perspective is so different than mine. It's like so refreshing on so many levels. So we just kept going and we literally kept going. And people think like I, I do get asked quite a bit, like, how have you guys grown or something like that? I'm like, you just work really, really hard. And you say yes to everything at the beginning. You have to say yes, to like every yeah. opportunity and one, per, you know, 10 percent of them will come out to be cool. Right. The other nine. You could look at them as kind of a waste of time, but on the other hand, it's just a learning experience for future, you know, to, to say yes to certain opportunities. So you just have to like have this amazingly open mind to keep saying yes to things. It's like dating though. early on. <laughs> you say yes to everything in dating early on? Well, I think if you're desperate, you know, you're just trying to get out there and then yeah. you figure out what I, you like I had, and what I have works. To admit, I have not been dating recently I have either, in, a, in a long time. So... I'm not sure how that goes, but yeah, I, I mean, dating, you, you have to be very uh, aware that you don't know where the right answer is going to come from yeah. and like where you think it's going to come from. It's not coming from there. It's going to come from left field and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. But I never would have expected it to come from here, you know, wherever yeah. quote unquote here is. Yeah. I think dating's changed a lot since you and I were both. I'm pretty sure it's that's the way the movie's well. projected for sure. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, the, the, the origins of this, the organization weren't to make pro cyclists out of all these girls it, it, it was to reach them in a different way via cycling and yeah. kind of change their lives and the, the the vehicle for that is a bicycle yeah so when when i left skiing i mean i love ski racing right but it just wasn't the 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 travel and that kind of stuff just wasn't for me anymore i wanted to be around my wife i wanted to get a dog i wanted to like be around more so we got into biking a lot and as i rode bikes more and more i just thought like there are so many amazing metaphors for this tool for life, whether it's, you know, talking about uphills versus downhills, whether it's talking about looking ahead, not looking at the things you don't want to hit, you know, you could literally like pick anything about biking and make a metaphor for it. So I thought I was working with these kids that were so well-resourced. They had every opportunity in the world through ski racing. Could we create something that's a little bit more in depth than a lot of the other organizations that are offering like one week camps or two or three day experience? Like, Hey, kids come from your house, come ride bikes for two or three days and then kind of go back. And then you're kind of like, well, what's my next step? We wanted to make sure a kid had every next step if they needed it. So that's kind of where the, 
impetus came from was like, I saw this super high resourced model of um, Ski and Snowboard Club Vail, which is an amazing organization. And, you know, I was so happy to be a part of it, but then thought, could we make it for kids that don't have those resources um, and do it through a bike? Yeah. So I love the fact that it's through a bike and, and I love even more the fact that it's, it's for girls. Yeah. Right. I think that um, being the father of a girl, of a daughter, I feel like that the amount of confidence that I've seen in my daughter just by going out and like you said before, like pushing through some of those adverse experiences on a bike has given her confidence throughout her life and in giving her experiences that, you know, it takes years to, to, to gain in just normal life. Yeah. Right. But you get like, it's like a crash course by sport in general, but mountain biking specifically. Because it is such a prevalent topic. Like we, we haven't, um, we will basically commit to working with 70% young women of color. Mm -hmm. And so around our area, that is, uh, mostly the Latina population. Right. And so I think that it becomes even more prevalent in that culture. Again, I am not trying to say Brett is an expert in these types of things. I have a wonderful staff that educates me all the time on this stuff, but I know that, um, for these young women, like they, uh, confidence is the, the confidence built in them is even so much more. Right. I mean, they, they, they generally are not, um, uh, you know, push to do a lot of sports or things like that. I mean, I know we're talking pretty big stereotypes here, but they don't have a lot of access to these sports, right? Often their brothers have access to these sports or something like that. So, so that was really kind of the impetus of making sure that we commit to that um, percentage of girls. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, your daughter doesn't get just as much out of this, but we've just seen like, we're committed to this because we think that's where we can move the needle in the cycling industry the most is committing to that. Um, and we've been doing that literally since 2013. Um, so yeah, I agree. The confidence is, is astronomical when all of a sudden they go from being scared to stand on a bike to going over their first route or their first rock or getting up that first like five foot hill, whatever it is, there is like a switch that goes off in that girl's head. And it's like, I'm now a badass. Send me to nationals. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, we're a little ahead of ourselves, but I mean, it's, it's amazing what can happen with one little obstacle. Um, so the grit and perseverance they learn is, is really amazing on a bike. So as far as, cause you didn't really have any experience running a, a nonprofit. Mm-mm. You just had experience working with athletes. When right? I worked for ski club, I didn't even know it was a nonprofit. Yeah. I didn't even know what it was. I just knew my job was to create the fastest ski racers possible and go do it. And so I did my best to try to do that. Right. Um, so then again, it was really the personal training where I was training a lot of these people that were in philanthropy on some level, maybe they were on a board or maybe, you know, and so they just kind of talked about their life and I was like, Oh, okay. And then I kind of pieced it together. So yeah, I had no real experience. The only thing I had experience with from ski club was managing a lot of athletes for a year, you know, so I kind of got the idea of how to manage a team, right. Which helps with your staff or with your, you know, athletes or something like that, or like bigger projects. But in terms of philanthropy, I really had no idea what I was doing. I just latched on to the people that seemed the smartest and said, can I buy a cup of coffee and just pick your brain and pick your brain. And, and they told me a lot of like how this was not going to work. There was also, (laughs) you know, that 10% that said, 
yeah, I think you got something here. You're going to have to work your ass off and work really hard, but you, we think you could do it. So, and you just don't latch on to the 90%. You take what they say, you filter it and you say what is valid there. And then you latch on to the 10% that say you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's important to find those people and, and kind of filter them out and, and figure out like, okay, this person does have shared vision with me here and, and thinks that I do have something, but then surrounding yourself with those like-minded people that are either have been there and know what, what it takes to, to create that type of program that you're looking to do or have been supporting that kind of program and can provide the, the funds so that you can surround yourself with people that can help you build it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's the number one thing I look for when we hire staff is like, just tell me who's passionate about it and let's go. We will learn the skills because no one necessarily, there are, there obviously are people as we get bigger and we get a little more specific in our roles, there are people that have tons of experience in there and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But it doesn't matter what experience you have if you're not fully into looking at the 10% that say we can do it. If we're going to, if anybody's focusing on the 90% of people that say we can't do it, there's not going to be a fit because it, it, it becomes um, really challenging to kind of change that mindset. And we need everybody saying, we don't know how we're going to do it, but we have no doubt we can do it. Yeah. You know, and I think that, and that, that's a message like I literally could tell a girl you know, as she shows up on her first day where she's terrified to get on the bike and like, you don't need to know how we're going to get to next week. All you need to be willing to do is take one pedal stroke and we'll teach you the rest and things like that. So again, even as I'm talking about staffing, it's like the same rules apply to teaching a girl how to ride a bike. Yeah. Well, and, and just in my experience with business, owning a business and, and starting a business and then as a, as a cyclist, as a professional athlete, Successful podcast, successful owner. podcast or podcaster. <laughs> it, it takes that little bit of, uh, I guess dropping any kind of concern about, you know, what do these people think of me or am I overstepping bounds and, and stepping out and asking for help or asking someone that is a mentor or could be a potential mentor of like, Hey, you did this. You were successful at this. Do you mind if we just chat for a minute? Do you mind, like you said, just grab a cup of coffee and and just pick your brain on this? Because, and, and what I found is that when you do that, you step out of that kind of fear of, you know, rejection or or kind of overstepping personal bounds. And nine times out of ten, those people are super receptive and they're happy to to talk to you about their experiences and then how can you apply that to what you're going through right now and and what you're trying to create. Cause I just feel like the mentorship side of it is something that's, uh, irreplaceable, you know, like, to, yeah. cause you can fumble along and try to figure this stuff out on your own. And, um, and you know, like you guys were feeling those kind of growing pains of, are we going to be able to continue this, you know, but with those, sure. with that guidance. Well, and I think as you start, like anything you start, uh, there's a book I read, I think it was the E-Myth Revisited. It's about entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's a nonprofit or a, for profit company. It's just, you know, you're building a, a group of people to do something. Um, it's like you, you map out every single role you want in your company in the future. Right. And then you realize when there's only one person, that one person is everything. Right. And then all of a sudden you hire somebody like Vicky, who I mentioned before, and she splits 
that into 50-50 with you. So each of you are like 10 roles, right? And so we're getting to the point where we can say, Brett doesn't need to be the best person and the most knowledgeable person on bike riding, or he doesn't need to be the most knowledgeable person on um, uh, youth development, right? I need to be the most knowledgeable person on trying to move the company forward and trying to move um, into new areas or something like that. And so the the really fun part for me is it never felt like there were times it just never felt we were, we were going to have an amazing team. And I can't look, I mean, our team is amazing right now. It is, we are seven people that I just love to go to work with every single day. And they are truly experts that are so much smarter than me on so many of these things. And so that's really where it becomes fun is um, when you realize like you don't have to have every answer anymore. Whereas at the first couple of years, you just, at least for me, I was very scared. Like, I don't know this. I don't, you know, so you reach out to mentors, but then eventually your team actually can come in and educate you on all the amazing things you sure. know, that, that you're trying to learn. Surrounding yourself with the yeah. right people. Yeah. So it, it, it starts as mentors and then eventually it becomes staff or your, you know, your people you're working with. And that yeah. becomes really fun. I think that's the thing is like dropping that ego of, it's mine having that ownership of it and then really figuring out, well, what is the best team? How can we create that best team to, to have the result that we're looking to, to yeah. create? And, you know, when you say dropping the ego, I'm sure there are people out there that probably think I haven't dropped an ego or something <laughs> like that, which I, I get, but like part of my job as um, the executive director is to like get up in front of people and talk about the organization or like talk about great stats or things like that. And so, um, it's not like me personally likes to necessarily like if on a Friday night, I'm not going to get, I don't want to go get in front of a mic and like talk to a bunch of people about the cycle effect, but it's part of my role. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that that's, you know, so when you're talking about dropping the ego, I think around staff, it's definitely happened. And then on the public persona, like you got to tell your story. And so, right. um, because I've been in it the longest, I'm one of the better storytellers that can give examples and, and history and stuff like that. So. I find myself in front of mics maybe more than I want. But again, if it helps the organization grow, that's the point. Sure. Yeah, you all have your roles. Yeah. So with with starting the program in, in 2013, so now you've had the opportunity to have some of these girls go through the program fully and on to do their own their own thing in life, right? Like whether that's starting families or, or onto their professional career. So what have you seen with some of these girls that like some of the early girls that yep. um, have been with the program from the beginning, like where have they evolved into? Sure. So, um, you know, we have girl, so Eagle County started, we had some eighth graders starting in 2013. Uh, I'll use Rita and Coco and Stephanie as our examples, you know, Stephanie is back in the Valley and she's running, um, the, you know, basically business operations for Vail Vision, you know, and, and she, they're like, this girl is the greatest thing in the world. We're going to keep her as long as we possibly can. And so she's like literally just helping run a local business. Uh, Coco has just finished her master's degree in social work. And so she's going to be working for the county. Rita works for um, a local medical uh, facility. And uh, so so they have come back into the, into the community. Um some of them engage in biking quite a bit, you know, like Coco is out at a lot of the races at VRD, like helping with timing and stuff like that. Like she's found her people in a way like outdoor. Um, other people don't engage as much. Right. I mean, there, I, people ask us like, well, what, yeah. What are these girls doing after college? I was like, 
I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's not that we're not keeping in track of them, but like the cycle effect is not taking any responsibility for what these girls do five years after they leave our program, right? Sure. But what I do know is they're coming back. They want to coach. They want to mentor. They want to start an alumni program. They want to connect and stuff like that. And they come back and they will like drop by and say thanks because um, of something that happened. And of course, they're talking about like one trip to Moab that was really cool that changed your life. They're not talking about like eight years of riding bikes. They remember like one specific thing. And so um, so it is a really cool, we thought this would happen, but you don't know until it actually happens. It's really cool to see them come back and be adults sure, you know, and just yeah. say like, man, it's awesome to see how much you've grown and your ambitions and stuff like that. And if we had a tiny part of that, that's amazing. I sure. think for some of these girls, we had a major part of it, but without very complex scientific studies on all that kind of stuff. It's hard for us to really take a ton of credit for a lot of this stuff, but we do know that their kids are going to ride bikes and their kids that generally wouldn't have had access to bikes, you know, because of, um, kind of the system that they live in, their kids weren't going to grow up riding bikes a ton, but because we got their moms on bikes, we know that they're they're going to be riding bikes and they're yeah. going to like, and they're going to go to camp, camp and Fruta and, and those types of places. So um, that's why we continue to focus on girls. Like we've been approached regularly to work with boys and I have grappled with it forever. I and mean, sure. I think these boys needed just as much as the girls. Um, but we didn't think we could do two genders as well as we did one. Right. So that being said, if we get the girls on bikes, generally their brothers jump on board, their fathers jump on board if we work with boys, generally the sisters still sit on the sidelines thinking it's a boys sport mm-hmm. because it's historically has been a more male dominated sport. Um, and then we know the mothers are kind of the center and the glue of these families. So their kids are going to get involved right away um, as they have families and stuff. So uh, yeah, that's kind of what we're, we're seeing. I can go into more specifics or something like that, but we, again, you know, it takes them seven years to get, if they start in fifth grade, it takes them seven years to get to college. And then four years. So, I mean, we're really just starting to see our first girls coming back that yeah. were of those younger ages. Well, I think it's a testament to how impactful their interactions have been with the program. If they're willing to even just come back and, and pop in and say hi, you know, yeah. I think that, um, you know, for me, I know whenever I'm back in Arkansas, I always make a, a point to try to swing by the high school or get together with the cross country team and the coach that was there uh, is the, my coach when I was in high school, still there. And because it was a really impactful time for me and in, in, in my, my trajectory into life was being involved with that program. Yeah. So if it wasn't impactful, I wouldn't spend the time doing it. You know, right. and if I, I ever went back to my hometown, I would absolutely go see my soccer coach because mm-hmm. he was one of the best things that ever happened to me, you yeah. know, and there's a lot of data that shows like behind teachers and parents, like coaches are, like basically the most influential people in young people's lives. So, um, yeah, I agree. It, it, it is amazing to have this connection or like you've got a girl that's maybe not a Rita and Coco that were in the program for seven years. They're in the program for four weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, she must've really not liked it. And she, well, the reality is she has a lot of things going on in her life and she just had to choose something else. It's not that she didn't like cycling. And then five years later, I see her at a dinner and she comes up and she says, I just want you to know that was amazing. 
she's like, I'm sorry I couldn't stay in it longer. And I was like, it doesn't, I mean, of course I want them to stay in it as long as possible, but like these young women have so many different pressures on them that I could never relate to. So that's one thing that we've learned to do is just stop focusing on when girls stop showing up and just focus on the girls that are showing up, you know, and that's been a major shift for us. But yeah, they, it only takes one. I mean, we all know it only takes one time on a bike and it could potentially change the direction of your confidence or, um, your openness to like try new things or whatever. So, um, of course we want them in the program for as long as possible, but to keep a kid in a program for seven years is a pretty big task. Sure. You know, you to keep anyone that, that we're not in control of. To keep anyone's attention that long is right. a challenge. Yeah. Um, I, I, interesting what you said about the fact that, you know, if the, if it's, if you focus on the boys, getting them involved, then a lot of times the siblings will, if it's a female sibling, will sit on the sidelines because they think, oh, that's not for me. That's a boy sport. Um, and and that so doesn't, I, I, that I doesn't think, happen. I don't think that that's just uh, like a, um, a Latino culture thing in any way. I mean, no. you look at mountain biking in general, you got a bunch of husbands going out and riding bikes together. And only in the last, I don't know, four or five years, maybe I'm wrong on that, are all these women's groups getting together, right? Because they, I think they kind of think of like, oh, the boys are going to ride or something like that. And again, I'm not trying to speak for the female population here, but I'm just trying to say like the there has been a huge shift in women coming into the sport, right? Which has been amazing. And and they're creating an entirely different culture than what we're used to. So I think that um, if we kept putting money into getting more guys on bikes, like we would have kept getting the same product. Just like if we kept getting, if we kept creating programming for, um, you know, well-resourced white kids, essentially, we're going to continue to get what we've got. And we wanted to really try to, to maneuver that and, and kind of say like, who are the, least represented um people in the outdoors and this was one of those groups right yeah. so young women of color and so we said let's let's try that and let's see let's at least focus there and if obviously there's going to be kids that don't necessarily fit into that demographic in our program right um but let's focus there and see what happens and that's kind of what we've been trying to do for the last 4 or 5 years yeah well i think it's really really cool that you were able to see that early on and 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 not that you're because we do live in this this area that's Vale Valley is very athletically driven and based around performance, right? There's a lot of performance based athletes here, um, with programs like the ski ski club. And, uh, you know, you're trying to trying to create the next Olympian essentially. Right. So to take a different approach that say, Hey, we just want this to be available to everyone you know, and specifically this demographic and just to provide them with the resource that they may not have on an, on a, in a normal setting. And we have the resources here to help support that. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, I I have two thoughts on that. A, like, I'm not saying you're saying this, but in general, I feel like the organizations like a C club or something like that, who are trying to create these elite athletes, right? Somehow are getting a bad rap. And I don't think they should at all. I mean, that is their job is their job is to take the most athletically driven, the kids that can fit into that program and make them the best in the world. Right. That is their job. And so I feel like in the past uh, three or four years, like, I don't know, they've just people get a bad rap for trying to do that. And like, if that is your project, then own it. 
and go. And I think C Club has done a really good job with that. And then on the other hand, um, you know, you you're, you said something about like us trying to get everybody involved. And for the first three or four years, we were very scared to exclude anybody, right? Because we didn't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. In the last two or three years, we've been very clear. We are going to put young people on wait lists in order to continue to make sure we have spots for this um, this demographic. So I think that it's not only trying to get, quote unquote, everybody involved, because if you just let everybody get involved, the more well-resourced kids are going to fill your spots. And then the other kids are still sitting on the sidelines. You have to be super intentional and say, this is the group we're going to for 70%. And then the other 30, we can have different uh, uh application process, not application process, but like different parameters, right? Different, maybe risk factors or different financial factors or something like that. But if you want to get young people of color on bikes, you got to save their spots for them. They just don't even know they want to get on bikes yet on some level, right? They haven't been a part of it. So that's something that we've really tried to do in the last couple of years is like, we just had to become more intentional about it. And this is something that like Brett is learning a lot about from his staff and things like that, right? Because I came from another world of a ski club type world, right? Where you're trying to create the best and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, we can't do that unless we really make an intentional space that is protected for these kids to come in and and enjoy the sport. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important part of it is this defining the, you know, for for lack of a better term, like your ideal client, right? Like yep. who who are you actually trying to target? And at first, like you said, you can't you can't necessarily do that. You can define it, but you kind of have to say, like you were saying before, you have to say yes to everything at first because you're yep. trying to get the ball rolling and get your feet on the ground and and, and and as a single like as a single person in the organization, everybody's scared of what people think about them. Right. I don't care what people say. People can say, Oh, I just don't care what people think about me. Like that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody cares on some level, right? So I was not necessarily willing to be clear on we're going to set these uh, standards or like these parameters because I wasn't sure that I would want to deal with any sort of backlash. It wasn't until we built a team and we said, all right, let's talk about all these different ways you know, that we could do this. Does this make sense? And we all agreed, yes, this is the right approach that all of a sudden we could be like, yeah. We, I fully am behind this. I will um, defend it to, you know, to the ends of the world because the team thinks it's the right thing to do. It really has very little to do with what Brett wants. I mean, I wanted to continue to race. I think it's a good mental and emotional uh, practice for them to race a bike every once in a while. Other than that, almost all the other decisions are made up by our programming team and stuff like that. And that's what gives us the ability to set those definite parameters. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Millie CBD. These days, it seems like everyone's jumping on the CBD bandwagon. And with so many options out there, what differentiates one brand from the next? I've teamed up with Millie CBD for two reasons. All of their hemp products are grown and processed right here in Colorado, and the quality is second to none. In a world of CBD products, Millie stands alone. Check out all their amazing products at Millie.co. That's M-I-L-L-I-E.co. Use code FORM at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Full disclosure, my, my daughter's part of the, is involved in the program. She's on her third year, I believe. In Second the, or third, yeah. Yeah, I think, yep. I, think sec, I think third year in the program. And just the way that it's impacted our family, 
is is noticeable, right? The ways that she, because we are a cycling family. We've, we've been riding ever since she was born and, and she's been coming along, dragging her along <laughs> whether she wants to or not. And, and it's been great because it's uh, kind of for all the reasons that we've already said of just these, these things that it's created for her as far as confidence and uh, pushing through adversity and, and you know, how that relates, how, how cycling can relate to life, regular, regular life. Um, so for her to be involved in a cycling program has been amazing for us as, as a cycling family, because now she wants to go ride her bike with us just for fun, right? Like we're not just, we're not, you guys are, she's riding with you guys twice a week and she's signing up for the races underneath the cycle effect. So whenever we do go ride as a family, it's just relaxed, right? Like I'm not having to try to be a coach and try to give her any skills. She's got the skills. Like you guys have done a great job of, of giving her that um, confidence to, to charge the downhills and she understands intervals and, and the training that she's done. So, and I know that our, our scenario is a bit unique in that way. So I just wonder what kind of impact have, have you seen that these girls are taking, I mean, taking home to their family. It has to be impressive of like, how did that, how is that received? If, If you get a girl that's whatever, 15 years old that comes to your program and they're new and they start riding bikes, they, they get given a bike, all the gear they need and the support to go do whatever their, their goals and visions are with being involving mountain biking. And then they go home. How does that trickle into their family life? Yeah. Uh, for some, I don't think it does. I think that we have to be realistic that not every family is drastically changed because of what we do. But I do feel like there are families who are getting into the outdoors more because of their daughters. So we now run, I got two quick stories. One, our our first, so we had kind of that oldest group that just knew they wanted to ride. They didn't necessarily want to race as much, right? They did the racing because it was like the thing to do. But then this next girl, Abby, came through and she wanted to race. She wanted to be fast. And she's like, I want to know how much I can do this. Now, she's also starting eight years behind some of these other kids and other programs like uh, Boulder Junior Cycling or, you know, Durango Diva, like these amazing programs. Right. So. So, you know, she was getting to like the JV level. Right. And then she qualified for nationals. Her goal was to go to U.S. nationals. Right. And so she qualified. And like the next moment, her mom walks up to me and she goes, what do, what do I feed her? And I just said kale, like a ton of kale for the next three months. <laughs> but uh, that being said, like immediately once they saw their daughter starting to have this success or confidence or, you know, whatever they were, you know, quote unquote calling success, whether it was athletic or mental or emotional, like they start to buy into it. And so fast forward a couple of years, there's a group in t- uh, town called the Neighborhood Navigators. And they're generally these um, Latina women who are very well connected to the Latina community. And they are kind of like a resource finder in a way, right? And so they're, the head of the Neighborhood Navigators came to me and said, hey, would you ever teach some moms how to ride bikes? We've got some girls you know, whose moms have said, I want to try this because my daughter's been in it or something. They've heard about it. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. A lot of them don't speak any English, but I knew we put them on a bike. We're going to be just fine. And so 
you know, these ladies are literally showing up after work and some of them are, you know, in their jeans and their work outfits and stuff or, you know, yeah, their work uh, uniforms and stuff like that. And we just like kind of pointed at parts of the bikes and said, and again, this was before we had Spanish speaking staff. Like it was this group that we said, holy cow, this changes everything. We need to have some uh, really represent the community we're trying to work with better in our organization. That was like a big wake up call. This was like three years ago. Um, and so we got these moms out on bikes. And so every Tuesday I would literally show up, ride bikes. It was called Brett's mom's group or something like that. I don't know what my staff calls it, but they had some joke about it. And so we, um, we'd go out and ride bikes. And so were every single one of those moms connected to these girls? No, like, was it a mother daughter relationship for every single one? No, but they knew of it somehow because their daughters were out riding bikes. And so now we're trying to unveil or roll this out in every one of our communities because it's a, it's great for our recruitment of these girls, right. To get the moms talking about it and get them to trust the organization and who we are and stuff like that. Um, but that's been like the coolest change in the community that I've seen. And it's like 10 or 12 women. It's not like it's hundreds or anything like that. But they show up every week and they go out and they giggle and they have fun. And I don't know what they're saying. They can be making fun of me, probably. Probably. They're probably like, God, he talks a lot, right? But um You wearing spandex for this? Because they're no, probably no, no way. Baggies. baggies. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Maybe that's what they're making fun of. I don't even of. race in uh, spandex anymore, Steve. Why? Casual. You're more casual these days. <laughs> he's trying to make uh, it appear as yeah, exactly. he's not as, it serious. I'm trying to not let people see my heart literally pounding out of my chest. Is that the idea? Yeah. yeah. You're not going um, baggies now, are you? But no, yeah. So no. this, this women's group is like amazing. And then, you know, we just had this film made um, with the pros closet and live and giant about these fathers riding bikes with their daughters and stuff like that. And so is there like hard data on it? Not that we've pulled. Are there hundreds of anecdotal stories of families getting involved because of this sport or because of, you know, some connection to a bike. Absolutely. Well, you're bridging relationships and families and in communities really with a bicycle. Yeah. And, and I, and I think we're also bridging, you know, to your point with a relationship is comes trust, right? Like I'm not sure that these families have had any reason to like reach out and trust our local mountain bike community. Not that the local mountain bike community isn't trustworthy, but like, there hasn't been necessarily a, some sort of a bridge to to make that gap or bridge that gap. Sorry. Um, so I think that that's really what we did in a lot of ways. And now we've got families showing to support their daughters at the mountain bike races and mm-hmm. things like that. And again, I'm not trying to take credit for all of that in any way, but we certainly are the majority of young women of color <laughs> showing up to our mountain bike races, you know? So I think that the families get involved. They want to get on bikes and things like that. And it's really it's the relationship piece, Steve, to your point. Like we could have used a lot of different tools. It doesn't have to be a bike, but it's the approach of like taking the time and understanding. We don't know the answers. Please help educate us on how we can make this better for you. Mm, Yeah. And for some of these girls, now they're in a tribe, the mountain biking tribe. And and a lot of them didn't have anything like that before they were in the cycle effect. Yep. And, and I think that there's, there's also a piece of it to the gear. I, I mean, I know that the outdoor industry is trying to really push like any gear is okay and things like that. Right. And, and, and I, I totally agree, but there's something really special about a girl showing up 
and realizing she's being given something that has like some pretty significant value, like even just our Jersey, right? Primal makes them. Um, they're not like the top end Jersey that we give the girls, but it's a Jersey. It's got logos on it. It's got a pattern on it. It's got your name, not their personal name, but the cycle effect on it. And like you give that to them and to your point, Steve, immediately they're like, I belong here. Right. And so at the beginning we gave every girl, everything right away. And we really created like this culture of like real enablement. And it was like, they didn't value in any way kind of what we were giving them. Then we went the other way and said, well, they're going to kind of have to earn it in a way, you know, whatever we thought that was at that time, it was four or five years ago. So now we've kind of come in between there because the moment we give them something, they're like, this is, this is my deal. Like I am part of this. That, that doesn't happen to me very often in my life. Um, but then we also try to make them, you know, kind of, uh, work and earn, you know, certain privileges throughout the organization. So the longer the girl is in the organization, the more priv- privilege or, um, opportunities she gets. Like if they graduate high school and they're going to college, they take their bike with them. Like they're not just, Oh, cool. Yeah. So, um, they're going to college with their bikes and stuff like that, which is a relatively sizable investment by the, you know, we start the girls on pretty, um, uh, normal hardtail aluminum bikes from live lives been our sponsor since, 2013 since the beginning and then by the time they're leaving they're leaving on a full suspension you know 29 inch bike with a dropper post it's relative you know a year or two old at the most and stuff like that so hopefully we're building some sort of capacity for them to grow um and and see goals and visions and you know set a vision for themselves to like graduate and and be rewarded for that yeah well what a great like you said before like metaphor for life of just hey man just keep showing up and you're going to be rewarded in some way, you know, I think that's yeah. so much of, of, and life's not always fair. Like not a, we don't always have the same resources every year and stuff like that. I mean, the pandemic obviously with everything bike related changed things. So like, yeah. does this, does this year's girl get the exact same thing as two years ago? No, like life is going to be evolving and it's going to be unfair. But if you work hard, you're going to get kind of the best opportunity that, that is available to you. Yeah. So, and, and these girls are, for the most part, they're all going on to beyond high school, not necessarily continue to ride and race bikes, but they're all, all going on to college. Yeah. So this is, I, I feel like this is a common, maybe misconception. And so, yeah. and, and I'm not saying that you, what you just said is not true, but I want to paint a picture. So like before you get into demographics and financial socioeconomic groups, like Young women drop out of sports at like alarming rates, right? Eighth, ninth grade, even the most resourced kids that have time and and money and um, their parents are super supportive, they're still dropping out, right? So we're battling that. And then we're dealing with pressures on a lower socioeconomic group, maybe, or young women of color that have maybe have different expectations by their families than um, wealthier families, something like that. So, so. I bring that up because people think we're graduating like hundreds of girls a year. And that's just not the case. I mean, if you think of a pyramid, like your biggest numbers are your lowest uh, grades, like your youngest kids. Right. And then when they get to the upper grades, you put a lot more resources into those girls because they're going to nationals or they're, you know, they're, they're racing 30 times or something like that. So out of the girls that have been in our program for three years, a hundred percent of those girls have gone to college. And by now that's probably, I would say high 40, 50 girls, something like that, right? Which we're still really proud of. But girls move junior year. Like, do we take credit for them when they go to college and they don't necessarily aren't, they've been in our program for six years, but then their senior year, they're not. 
like you know so that that's where it's like there's no black and white line on the def- people think there's like this definitive like exact number of girls and it's like th- it's just not the way high school kids work they're not, there's no way to define that but if they're in our program when they graduate every girl has gone on to college and we're not trying to say college is the ultimate or the end all be all like for everyone right but- for everyone but that's the way statistically speaking for a young woman especially a young woman of color their um their ability to maneuver in the world beyond high school drastically changes if they do go to college and get a degree so we certainly push it but if a girl decides hey that's not for me i mean we had one girl going to the army great good for you like it, that's awesome you know so um well that wasn't the goal you set out with from the beginning it's just an amazing i just wanted to get product high, yeah the the goal was to graduate high school mm-hmm. right and then we saw them starting to go to college right and when you're two years in and you're literally having to say yes to everything you're trying to st- tell a story. You're trying to say like, Hey, we think we're having this effect on these girls. So we started talking about college a little bit, but then people started asking us, well, what are they doing after college? Like, Oh Jesus, I have no (laughs) idea. You know, like, I mean, they're, they're having a great life and they're maybe riding bikes. Mm -hmm. We don't have control over that, or we're not going to claim to in any way have control over that. Yeah. Well, I I know a couple of years ago, whenever Tatum was starting to get involved with the program, you were letting me know kind of how it all works. And one of the things that you told me was that the communication happens between the coaches and the athletes. Yeah, absolutely. And it keeps the parents not in the dark, but out of the loop because that's the, I mean, you tell me why, why do you guys decide to do that? Well, for two reasons. One, when we first started, a lot of the girls, parents and I couldn't communicate, right? Sure. I, I didn't speak Spanish and they didn't speak English. Or, you know, so we had to use the daughters to translate anyways, right? So that was like kind of just a natural evolution there. But then the other piece is I found when I was at ski club, parents were so involved in everything that their kids didn't actually have to ever make a decision. And I was getting like 10 or 15 calls a day about like what wax to use for the next race. And I'm sorry to say for the large majority of kids, the wax isn't that big of a deal, right? It's showing up to training more consistently or sleeping the night before, not having a slumber party up until three in the morning or something like that. So, so we realized like the the kids were being left out of these decisions that if you leave them out of thousands of decisions, by the time they get to be a senior in high school, when they get to the college applications or that kind of stuff, their hands are still being held so much that they don't actually like evolve in my opinion. And there are lots of people out there that probably disagree with me. I get it. But um, so what we decided to do is say, we're going to communicate with the kids and the kids have to communicate with their parents. And for for parents that are used to being communicated to, a lot of them pull their kids out of the program. They Mm. said, this isn't for us. But it wasn't the demographic we were trying to mostly work with. Right. So we were okay with that. It was annoying, but we were okay with it. And the reason we do that is as a fifth grader. It's a challenge. Right. I understand I do not want to be a parent in this situation. I get it. But the little things that you miss as a fifth grader, you're going to, as a family, going to talk about, you're going to talk with your coaches, you're going to learn from these little mistakes. She's going to miss a start of a race. And that's going to be like a defining moment in her life that says, life does not wait for you if you miss your start. Mm-hmm. Right. And thank God it didn't happen when she was a senior, when she's going to, you know, varsity state championships. So let's let them make these failures 
as fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth graders. And then by the time they get to be ninth, 10th graders, they're filling out their college applications by themselves. I mean, the girls that we're helping go to college, it's so minimal. I'm letting, I'm writing like a letter of recommendation. I'm connecting them, them to better resources, but they have got it if they've been in our program for three or four years because we've let them continue to fail. And it is a big ask of the parents and I get it. And I'm not trying to like diminish that or, or minimize that. But we found, I mean, your daughter Tatum, by the time she gets to be a junior, you're going to have to ask her how her college applications are going, but you will not have to be like hounding her. Like, what about this one? What about this? One? I guarantee it. She yeah. is going to be so self-sufficient, meaning she's going to be ready for college and then she's going to be ready for her first job and stuff like that. And so we kind of took this idea from um, this grit concept from the education world on kind of small incremental failures and challenges and, and perseverance and stuff like that. And that's really what we're creating in these girls is grit, meaning like, I don't know how to solve the application process. Let me go figure it out. Right. Which the bike literally teaches you every single day. I don't know how to go over that route now. In three weeks, I'll be able to get over that route or something like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And as a parent, I f- we so badly want to see our, our child succeed so much sometimes that we get too involved and we want to do it for them. And the, this kind of empowerment is so huge just for as a parent to be able to, like you said, just to sit back and say, observe the communication that's happening between yeah. you guys and, and her. And then and, she can communicate that to us, you know, and it's, it's, it's really giving her that ownership of it. And, you know, it's giving her that, again, that confidence and that ability to problem solve and figure yeah. things out for herself. And, and they have to fail in order to problem solve, yeah. right? They have to figure out, I failed. This didn't go my way. How do I make a better choice next time? Yeah. Or how do I deal with the circumstances better next time? And I'm not trying to say I know how to be a parent, but I've worked with thousands of kids from the most resources in the world to some of the least resources in our area. And I've seen a lot of different parenting styles, right? And the ones that are more hands-offish, like drop your kid off at practice and leave. They do not need you to fix their bike to them. They do not need you to scrape their skis for them at the top of race. They do not need you to come onto the field and teach them how to kick a soccer ball. You are to drop them off and leave because that is when they're going to learn their self-reliance and stuff like that. And, and I think it's probably really hard for a parent because they see 30 kids there and coach, there's only five coaches. So they're like, oh, well, let me just help. It's like, no, let an 11-year-old help a nine-year-old or let a nine-year-old have the guts to go ask a senior, can you help me put on my wheel? Why is my wheel sparking? Well, that's because your disc brake is on the wrong side. Your, your rotor's not, it's on, your wheel's not backwards or something like that. So we learn a lot of lessons and it's much more efficient just to have everybody do everything for the girls. But it's not efficient by the time, you know, three years in. Right. You teach them that's, you know, it's kind of that adage of teach a man to fish and um, things go a lot better when they're juniors in high school. Yeah. That's well, trademark. I don't think that's the actual. No, that's, that's it pretty much. Is no. Steve, can you confirm? I can neither confirm nor deny that, but I mean, all these things, <laughs> you talk about ski racing a lot in the, in resourced kids, yep. you're, you're looking primarily at kids that aren't resourced. So in ski racing, they have family resources or whatever this, they don't. How, how do you, as from 2013, eight years later, pay for all this stuff? Yep. I mean, it's Great. all, Great it's question. non, Thanks. you've got to do a lot of fundraising. Yep. 
So, and, and I use the word resource because I, I feel like people think it's just finances. It's really not just finances. It's like the navigation of whatever network you're in. So for like ski racing, if you were somebody that's never ski raced before and you go into the ski racing world, like it's bizarre. You're like, why are we all wearing these tight pants? And why do we unbuckle our boots when we go up the lift and stuff like that? It's, well, Cause your toes don't get cold that way. Or you go into the mountain biking world and like, why do we say shred so much? Or why do we say stoke? You know, so it's like, you're part of the network. you also have, you know, maybe financial resources. You have time, you have parents that can drive you there. You have trails around you. So I, I don't mean resource just financially, but finance is the biggest thing that we work on to, to break down those resource issues. So um, we have three people on our staff that are amazing that help us fundraise. And so we get about a quarter of our budget from in-kind sponsorships, whether that's free rent at our office, whether that's um, donated or partially donated bikes from Live or um, you know Primal where it gives us our jerseys, um, you know local bike shops, things like that. So that's kind of the in-kind piece. Then we run a fundraising event, uh, which is, you know, a pretty typical fundraising event. It's a cocktail party where we tell some stories and people are, you know, motivated to give us some financial support. We write about a quarter of our budget uh, through, uh, sorry, we write grants for about a quarter of our budget. And um, that can be anything that's relative to our local geographic area or people that are interested in um, uh, helping young women or education or bikes or, you know, we, we do span quite a few granting opportunities there. Um, and then it's just, other than that, it's in kind, or sorry, it's just, uh, personal contributions. You know, people are inspired what we do and they give us money. So we do run some campaigns, um, like we're going to talk about here in a little bit with the coffee and other, um, smaller, more grassroots things. Um, we love to be the beneficiary of other people's events. So, you know, there'll be a race in town or something like that this weekend. We've got the Xterra and they said, we like what you do. Can you, will you partner with us? Um, we're often a great liquor license for organization <laughs> for, for, you know, concerts or something like that. Like, hey, you know, that's how a lot of these concerts happen is they partner with a nonprofit to get a liquor license or something like that. And so, um, we, we try to be very diverse in how we do all those things, but, um, it's a lot of money to, to build any sort of equitable access to a sport, especially that's is gear intensive as biking. It is expensive. There's no question. So we've got to have a full fundraising team that helps us do this. Yeah. And where do you see it going? Like, what's your, what's your grand vision for it? Like how, how much expansion is, is yeah. this a world domination thing? Um, I used to use that term and then people start taking me literally and they're <laughs> like, oh, well then let's go to like Belgium. I'm like, I feel like Belgium's probably got cycling like down on some level. I'm sure they've got a government uh, program that takes care of kids there to ride bikes. Um, I, I have to be honest. I don't know how big this is going to get. I think that our, you know, I, I look at what we did in Mesa County. We found a funder convinced them that Mesa County was the place to go. And we went to Mesa County, right? So that's kind of us like kind of pushing towards Mesa County. Route County, they're kind of pulling us there. They're a funder there. They said, hey, we want you to come here and stuff like that. So we have a couple different models on how we expect to grow, whether it's like a, a space where we see could really use it, like a Grand Junction, or whether it's the local community saying, come to us. Um, I think that this program is very rep replicable. 
it's pretty easy to do. Obviously, personnel and you know systems and stuff like that just have to grow. Um, the I think the other challenge we have is we want to go to some places where there aren't trails, right? And so I was talking to one of our board members about this, and you almost can't even go to some of the poorest parts because they don't have any sort of network of resource people that have been building trails, right? So we also have to be looking at that. I mean, this is not just to give a kid a bike thing, which I think the industry thinks it is. It's like, give a kid a bike and you solve their problems. It's not that. It's coach them how to use it, teach them how to do it safely, build a network that they trust, have trails around their house and stuff like that. So I, so I know I'm not answering your question on how big this could be. Could we, we be working with thousands of kids with the right funding and stuff like that? Absolutely. Like yeah. that's that's just not a question. But you don't see it being a Colorado only based thing. No, I, I I see that it probably starts centrally in Colorado like it has and it grows outwardly from there. Like I don't see us going from here to Nova Scotia. Right. I think we're gonna build around here. We're gonna build around in Utah, hopefully. We're gonna build um around our surrounding areas because the logistics of when something goes wrong or you have to solve a problem, mm-hmm. you gotta be able to get there. Right. And so you've got to have like a network of staff or people or volunteers or something that are within those areas if something were to, you know, quote unquote break or something like that. So I see it centrally located in Eagle. I don't see our offices moving from there. And then hopefully trying to work with anywhere from a thousand to 10,000 kids. Sure. And not every, and every community will look different. That's the other somewhat challenging part is like Mesa County looks very different than Summit County. Right. In terms of weather, in terms of population, in terms of all that kind of stuff. And so I feel like we're going to use different strategies to try to build equitable access to bikes in each different area. Right. And so like some places need transportation. So then we're talking vans and and drivers and stuff like that. Eagle County doesn't need transportation because our trails are so close and stuff. like. So like we literally look at 10 or 12 different benchmarks in each community and say no community has everything. That would be a perfect space for this. But if they have eight, can we make up for it somehow and create the other four or something like that? So we we kind of analyze every move we're about to make. Yeah. We just want to make sure that we do it thoughtfully and, and not just all of a sudden be like, okay, every town in, in Colorado and every kid gets a bike. Like that's just not the way to solve what we're trying to do. No. Yeah. But it seems like the, you have the recipe and it's working, sure. right? Yeah. Like it's, it's expanding, it's growing. And I think it's the more people get an idea of, of who you are and what you guys are doing and what the the actual benefit that you're providing to to these these girls and then to the greater community uh, and just more and more people are going to get on board you know and, and I think that like um, we, we learn something from every new community we go to right so like what we've learned going to Mesa, has drastically helped us in Eagle County. What we've learned in Summit County has drastically helped us in Mesa County and stuff like that. So we are creating, um, so we can do this anywhere, right? It'll look a little different. We'll learn new lessons every time we go there. So we do need a little bit of time. Like if a funder said, be here in three weeks and have 400 kids on bikes, like, eh, we probably can't do that. But we can, our model can go pretty much anywhere. Um, yeah, so I, I think we're we're open to those opportunities. We just want to make sure that anything we grow into doesn't somehow be detrimental to our current programming that we have. Sure. Right? Growth is not our end goal. Helping kids is our goal. Hopefully we can do it and grow at the same time. Right. Yeah. Well, so where can people find out more about 
the the organization yep. and I want to I want to see some of these. I've seen one of the videos. I haven't seen the one about the the dad and daughter. Oh, video. sure. Is that out yet? It is. Yeah. So that was put out on Father's Day. Um, and again, that was a combined project with the Pros Closet, um, who is a supporter of ours. And then uh, Live and Giant jumped on board to help with that, too. So um, our website is thecycleeffect.org. Pretty simple. Um, we've got Instagram, we've got YouTube, and we've got Facebook. Um, no TikToking at this point, no Snapchatting at this point. Or maybe we do. I don't know about them. <laughs> um, but that, you know, our, our website, we try to keep as up to date as possible with the way that we grow and change things. Like it, some of the information might be a little outdated, but it's pretty good. Um, and then most of our videos are on YouTube. Um, the one pros closet one I think is on our website. Um, but it's definitely on their stuff and I can, um, send you a link. I don't know if you do show notes or do any sort of Instagramming or something like that on I think this we stuff. Do show notes. Instagramming. <laughs> I think you just made that up. I want to hear about this coffee. Yeah. I don't know anything about coffee, but I'm excited. Jake Wells Brew. Yes. Tell us. Yeah. Well, so, you know, for me, I, I looked at this program and of course I want to jump both feet in and say, Hey, how can I help? This is an amazing program. So, um, the first thing I did was reach out to Brett. I was like, Hey, can I come to practice? And is there some way I can get involved? And he says, absolutely not. Right. I mean, <laughs> which probably doesn't right. say, yeah. I mean, you're, no, your best skill you riding coaching, with kids. You're yeah. not allowed to do it here. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's not normal. Like for, for me, I'm not used to that of, of hearing like, we don't need your level of experience, which is f- completely fine. But I understand that your policy is that we don't allow the parents to come ride with the kids. And I was approaching it more of a, not along the line of, uh, being a parent and riding with, with my daughter, more of how can I help provide something for the the kids? And I think you and I kind of kicked around some ideas and um, there's this coffee company out of Austin that I, I love what they do. Dan is an amazing guy. And so I reached out to him and said, Hey, is there a way that we could come up with this with a coffee blend or, or, or roast and proceeds could go to, a nonprofit of my choosing. And he said, absolutely. I'd love to do that. Let's do it. Let me know what you need from me. And here's how this works. And, um, so, you know, we, we created the champ champ blend or champ champ roast is what we called it. Um, Is that because you're really a champion? Like really, really, really a champion? Well, how did that name come up? So it's kind of a, a like boxing term, right? Because if you're a, if you're a, a champion in one weight class, and you hold a championship belt in another weight class, then you are two-time champs or champ champ, right? So the first time I won the single-speed national champion, I also won the age group national championship that year. Just so, to be clear, yeah. you are comparing yourself to a boxer. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what I do. <laughs> okay. You know, There's riding bikes is, is exactly the same as getting Fair punched enough. in the face. All right. Sweet. Don't you think? I feel like it for sure. <laughs> so that's how the champ champ hashtag awesome. got, got kind of started. And then that's kind of your hashtag too. That's, I don't, I mean, I'm not a hashtag champ champs, a hashtag. I didn't create it, but it you're champ got, champ, like Chim Chim, mm-hmm. the monkey from speed racer, right? <laughs> Wasn't Chim Chim the little monkey in the trunk? I'm going to say yes, but yeah. I don't know. You're like Chim Chim, but you're champ 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 champ. So you're, Hashtag champ champ. Yeah. So do you feel like your beard now yeah. is not uh, portrayed well? I mean, your beard is very small now and on your logo, it's very big. Right. Oh. So 
after I won the national championship, single speed national championship and the master's national championship in 2018, randomly someone sent me this character, this drawing. And they said, here you go. Here's, here's a photo of you. And it's like American flag in the background. I'm wearing like a blue, you know, Shimano stocking cap and I have a big beard cause I had a big beard at the time. And so I just thought it was, it was a pretty cool character. And I, you know, changed my Instagram photo to that character. And then after a while, I was like, Hey, this is actually kind of cool. Um, let me reach out to this guy and see if I can buy it from him, the artwork. And so he sold it to me, uh, for, I don't even remember if he'd maybe pay for it. He may have just given it to me, but anyway, this super cool guy on, on Instagram and he does these for everybody, like a lot of different people. If you follow him, um, it's M at M I T O L. I, I don't remember M I T it's love Tim backwards, right? So M I T E E V O L evil, right? Mitt evil, right? So anyway, if you go to his Instagram, he's got all kinds of cool characters on there. He could do one of you if you want it. You just reach out. I feel like it looked just like you. I just wouldn't have a national champions jersey on. <laughs> you wouldn't have American flag in the back? No. Or man bun. Yeah, yeah right. You'd be you missing all that. With a socking cap. We right. look alike. You just oh, tuck yeah. it in. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So that's the artwork we chose for um, for this Champ Champ blend or, or roast. And it was really cool working with Dan because uh, – He's very excited about working with, you know, at-risk wit girls or or Latina girls specifically. That's some of his heritage. So when I brought that up, like, hey, this is the program, and he was just completely on board. Like, this is an amazing program. Um, and then I get to choose. I get to work with him and figure out what do I want the coffee to be, right? So if you're a coffee person like I am, and uh, and my wife is is super into coffee as well, so. Uh, we got to choose that we wanted the the beans to come from, and they're all you know sustainably sourced and um, from this this small farm in Nicaragua. Um, I wanted a medium roast because I wanted because of the the group that we're working with. We wanted it to be an America's based coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Like somewhere from Central or South America. Um, so it was really cool to be a to go through that process and not just be like, yeah, just stick my sticker on yeah. whatever coffee you guys think would be, would sell well. It's it's you know? clear. Like, again, I haven't had a ton of connection with Dan, but just emails and stuff like that. It's clear that it's very intentional. Yeah. It's like very well thought out. And so I have a coffee question. Yeah. If I were to order a bag of coffee mm-hmm. and I want to give it as a gift, how long does that stay good? It's usually vacuum sealed. It is vacuum sealed. So yeah. it'll last. I mean, it is one of the ideas with the way they do it is if you put an order in, all orders are processed on Sunday okay, and then roasted and shipped on Wednesday, right? So if it takes whatever, three days for you to get your coffee, that was, if you get it on Friday, it was roasted and, and packaged and shipped on Wednesday. So um, it's super fresh coffee. It's really high quality. Um, I, we actually just got our bag yesterday, so we we brewed our first cup of of the Champ Champ roast this morning, and it, I was really impressed. It was really good. Um, I'm a coffee guy, so I, I'm pretty snobby about the coffee, but um, but yeah. So then I ordered a few more bags because I do want to give them as gifts. Yeah. And I know people are going to ask me, "Hey, where can I get it?" Um, so I'll have a few bags that I can sell to them. Uh, but I, it's are we because talking weeks? Are we talking yeah, months? Weeks. Weeks. Okay, weeks. Cool. I think if you have a couple of, of bags and they're in the fridge, kind of staying cool and, and they're vacuum sealed, they're going to last for a couple weeks. Okay. 
Cool. Um, and then, you know, they can, people can go to, uh, my, I have a link on my Instagram, uh, in my bio that you can takes you right to Grimpier Brothers. So Grimpier Brothers is G-R-I-M-P-E-U-R Brothers, B-R-O-S, uh, dot com. So Grimpier Brothers dot com. Um, and Rose. Grimpier Brothers. Bros. Grimpier Bros. Dot com. Sorry. I wasn't, I see. He's from that. Arkansas. Bros means brother. Man. It's so formal here. It's bros. <laughs> yeah. So you can go on there and you can, you can find the, the roast that we did with them. Um, and if you look at it, you know, it's, it's $27 for a pound of coffee, right? So, and then if you add shipping onto it, you know, you're spending kind of over 30 bucks for a, for a pound of coffee. The way I look at it is you're donating to a great cause. You're donating to the program. The coffee is an amazing Because a lot of that, I mean, caveat. what is it, like 12 bucks or something like that comes towards us? That's a significant amount of money. Yeah, so Dan's just covering his cost. Yep, and awesome. anything beyond that is is all going to yep. the cycle effect. That's so, a, yeah, that's um, great. 100% of the proceeds, I don't get any of the, any of the you know, royalties for my beautiful face being on the, the, the sticker, but. It's a cartoon of I, you. Well, it makes me look good. <laughs> Do you get any money for using Champ Champ? Every time someone says Champ Champ, I get a quarter of Even in the boxing world. Because they're probably like, we use it because if you heard of this guy, Jake. Yeah, if you heard of Jake Conor was. McGregor is probably like, dude, I use Champ Champ because. He actually kind of looks like Conor McGregor. Doesn't he? Yeah. If, like Conor Not McGregor, if he didn't do push-ups for yeah. like 10 years and, <laughs> you know. Grew his hair out. Yeah, it was kind of like veal. You thank know, you they for, put him in a little cage. And, yeah. <laughs> we appreciate it in yeah. this podcast. Grim for sure. Pure Bros. Bros. Grim Pure Bros. Mm. Dot com. Not brothers. Not brothers. Sorry. Yeah. And there's no period after the S of bros. It's Grim Pure Bros. No period dot. Well, the period is the dot. So Grim Pure Bros. Dot com. Okay. Not two dots. And there's a little picture of you on there it's with a smiley face. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. Heck yeah. For is sure. this going to be the first show we've ever had show notes? I don't think so. We've had okay, show cool. notes. We've had notes. With the amount we've of had, we've had notes. With the amount of looks you guys have given each other, I wasn't sure if I just He's looking at me like brand new idea Can today. we do that? Yeah. yeah. Can we? Well, Steve's oh. like, I didn't know I was supposed to be doing show notes. I wasn't yeah. Well, when you listen to this four or five times before you send it out because it's been so riveting, I'm sure you'll be able to come up with the notes. Yeah, it'll be a piece of cake. All this time, I didn't realize that caricature was you that you didn't I keep realize seeing. that was me. Look at those. No. Look at those beautiful teeth. Well, you do have very, yeah, you were very pretty, but yeah. I had no idea that that was you. I thought it was just stock photo that somebody oh. got and put up. Maybe I should grow my beard out, huh? After that. Yeah, maybe. So anyway, for me, it's it's a super exciting collaboration with Grimper Bros. The cycle effect. Yep. It's a way that I can hopefully make an impact. You know, if we can sell a hundred bags of this coffee, you know, that's twelve hundred bucks. Yep. So if that if that's enough to get a couple of, of ladies to some races, yeah, that's that's our goal. Well, and Steve, it's funny when Jake asked me, he's like, Yeah, could I like stop by? Like, it's really hard to say no to somebody of Jake's coaching caliber and right. riding ability and right. stuff like that. And it's like but you got to think about his daughter. Right. Like, she doesn't want just him to be to, there. To be like Jake Wells' daughter in a way. It's like, hopefully we're removing her from that label in some level. And she's just becoming 
Tatum Wells. You know what okay. I mean? The writer of however she's choosing stuff like that. So it was a challenge to try to figure out how to keep Jake involved on some level, but not have him do what he's most well known for and things like that. So I we appreciate Jake for, again, being creative and thinking outside the box here and stuff like that. And it doesn't mean that Jake's never allowed to ride with our girls or anything like that, but it's not just not until Tatum's out. (laughs) Another five years. You're good, man. Well, it's Um, like John Elway. You just can't have when his Jack was playing football here in Colorado. You know, dad can't come to practice. Yeah. And And it's it's nothing personal. It's not against you, John. It's just parents that want to ride with their kids, but you got plenty of time to do it with your kids. Go do it there. And so, um, but we appreciate, you know, Jake and his network and stuff like that. Like we thought that, the way that he conducts his business and just kind of is the community figure that he is. We thought it'd be an amazing partnership. And of course he was able to find Grimpure brothers. So thank you so much for that. And we're really looking forward to some coffee. Yeah. I will. I'm going to purchase quite a few bags. They're just not going to be for me, but uh, they'll be for my wife. Sure. She loves coffee. My wife does too. Yeah. She's probably having a cup of coffee now. right now. It's yeah, it is coffee time, isn't it? It is. It's yeah. at the Wells house. Two fifteen. <laughs> so <laughs> my cutoff is like, Three o'clock. If I have coffee after three o'clock, I'm not sleeping. Really? Linda will, she'll have coffee. Not late at night, but she'll push it on a Friday. She'll like, oh, she'll get real rowdy. Living dangerous o'clock. over yeah. there. <laughs> right. Rowdy and then she'll have to have a spritzer to fall asleep mm-hmm. afterwards. Right. Yeah. <laughs> something. That's when something you know, classy. like eight o'clock at night, Jake's looking over like, oh, she's having coffee. Yeah. That's right. I'm getting wild time to <laughs> Right. Yeah. Ooh. Someone's got some emails Somebody to do. Somebody's living. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Crazy. Well, yeah, and I, I do see that there's a donate here button on your website, so people can go right there and donate. They don't have to buy the super delicious coffee if they don't want to. But yeah, um, and and I would say, you know, obviously we talked about a lot of things, and um, people that you know support organizations, we want them to feel super comfortable. So if there are questions, like we have a whole staff that can answer questions on exactly how we do things, or. Um, you know, we have people that are interested in making sure their money goes to Summit County, supporting Summit County specifically or Mesa County specifically or Eagle County specifically. Like that is really easy for us to do. We keep the money where people want it to go and things like that. So um, if there are questions or, you know, things like that, just please reach out. We've got email addresses all over our website. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, in. thank you. This appreciate is awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been fun. And we'll go ride sometime. Champ, champ. Champ, champ. Champ, champ. today's episode is brought to you by millie cbd the cbd world is moving fast and there are tons of products out there to choose from today most people use cbd to promote overall health and wellness by supporting the body's homeostasis otherwise known as its natural balance cannabinoids are an essential part of the body and support the endocannabinoid system which helps regulate a wide variety of physiological systems Millie offers many different CBD products, but personally, I prefer the CBD soft gels with melatonin before bed, and I've experienced a noticeable change in sleep quality. I wake up feeling rested and ready to go. The CBD is non-psychoactive, so no, it won't get you high. Broad-spectrum CBD users report a wide range of benefits including improved mood, reduced stress, improved temporary sleeplessness, and reduced discomfort. Millie is a Colorado-based company offering high-quality formulations while providing a transparency regarding ingredients, dosing, and testing. This allows customers to feel safe in an innovative and fast-moving industry. Check out all the amazing products at Millie.co. That's M-I-L-L-I-E dot C-O. Use code FORM at checkout for 10% off your entire order.